You know, I uh, mentioned, uh, I think it was Wednesday night, that I had uh, something I wanted to share with the church, and I wanted to wait until uh, this morning when most of you were here, and all of you here are here, okay? <laughs> but um, three years ago, I had a heart valve replacement, my mitral valve, of this time three years ago. And they replaced it with a tissue, a pig valve. And I chose that way because they said you wouldn't have to take Coumadin the rest of your life. Well, after about five months, three months they took me off Coumadin. And after five months, a blood clot hit that uh, valve and just splattered all on the inside of my heart. And uh, I knew something had happened, didn't know what. But make a long story short, about two weeks later, I had to have another surgery, another open-heart surgery. They went in the side with that robot, you know. I, I, I love that robot. But they went in the side. And what happened when he found that the interior of my heart was completely covered with blood, it took him eight hours. I was on the heart and lung machine for eight hours. And uh, he had told some of the nurses while he was doing it, said, we... We can't lose this one. We can't lose him. So uh, after that, I went home, but I was going down because my heart was out of rhythm. So eventually I had to go back in the hospital and I had to have a, uh, a pacemaker and an oblation where they go in and serve our nerve so your heart won't be out of rhythm. And that was uh, this past October, uh, two years well, when I went to the doctor a year ago and had an echocardiogram made, he said, you have 36% of your heart that's functioning. That's your heart has an ejection rate that forces the blood out into your body. And he said, yours is 35%, and it doesn't need to get any lower than that. So I started praying, and many of you started praying, that it would... Uh, just get better instead of worse. And I didn't have a lot of faith, so I said, Lord, when I get my next echocardiogram, I want it to be at least 40%. Now, that wasn't a lot of faith, but that's better than 35, okay? <laughs> well, this past week, Monday, I went and had an echocardiogram. And so I, about an hour later, I went to see the doctor. And we were just talking, and he looked at it and said, well, let me look at this. He said, uh, the right lower chamber of your heart's fine. The upper chamber of your right part of your heart's fine. The left lower chamber of your heart's fine. And the upper chamber of your heart's fine. He said, you know, your heart's normal. I said, what? Normal. And I said, now, let, let me ask you a question. The pumping rate, the ejection rate was 35, what is it now? He said between 50 and 55, which is absolutely normal. And you know, he looked at me, he looked at me, and he's a Christian. He said, you know, God answers prayer. So I'm sitting here 55% pumping. This feels so good. Man, that means I can preach longer. Oh, boy, I love it. But I do have to remember this. <laughs> And I found this out when I heard the good news. I just wept and thanked the Lord. I found out this, that uh, while I have a normal heart, I got a 77-year-old body. <laughs> you, know how, you know how that is, don't you? <laughs> I'm still carrying this heart around in this body. But I just want to give God the glory and praise. Amen. Let's just give God the glory. And I worship and thank him. I'm so grateful for the goodness of God. I, I really am. You know, um, I dream very, very little. But about two weeks ago, in a dream, I was preaching. As far as I know, I was preaching here in this building. All I know is that I was bringing a message from the Word of God. And the message was very clear. It was very clear what I was preaching. And I said, I've never dreamed that before, preaching a message like that. So I said, you know. Well, Lord, I'll just, I'll just preach that. Um, 
uh, right after the first of the new year. So I want to share with you the heart of that message that I had in that dream. Uh, You know, somebody gave me a book by Jim Simbler called The Storm. And I think it was uh, Thursday that I was reading a chapter, the first chapter in that book. And in the first chapter, he confirmed what exactly God had said to me or was saying to me in that dream. And one of the points in that first chapter of Jim Simbler, he's pastor of Brooklyn Tabernacle in Brooklyn, one of the great churches in the world, Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir. He's had a little paragraph, we're not, we're not as big as we think. And in this paragraph, he said, you know, you can get on Google, you know, and you can find most anything. You can find a lot of things you want to find. You can find a lot of things you don't want to find. He said, but that one website on Google made this statement. Now, you're going to say, man, that his thing is way off. I know it is. But what that, what that said was, in that website, it said that uh, they did a survey of religious survey, and they found out, now get this, that in America there were 246,780,000 people in America who said they're Christians. That's 80%. That's 8 out of 10. I don't believe they got it right, y'all. Does 8 out of every 10 people you deal with are they followers of Jesus? Do they believe the word of God? Do they love Jesus? Are they excited about living holy lives? I mean, that, that was way, way off. Well, a man by the name of Jim Dickerson wrote a book entitled, is John Dickerson, The Great Evangelical Recession. And in that book, this is what he did. He got four different independent researchers that were doing research. Each one of them had a different reason for doing it, different point of view. They all had different methods, but they were trying to determine the Christian population in America. And as all four of them came together after their research, what they discovered was absolutely alarming. It was shocking. Probably the most reliable research that's been done in years. You know what the results were? That between 7 and 8.9% of the people in America are Bible-believing evangelical Christians. 7 to 8.9%. And we're talking about people who love Jesus, who love the Word of God, who believe Jesus is the only way to be saved, who love his church, who stand for what is righteous and holy between 7 and 8.9%. And Jim Simbler said, we're not as big as we think. But you say, but Brother Fred, basically from Richmond down uh, and, and all around, out through, you go, you go along the Gulf Coast, you go to Texas and up through Oklahoma and those places, I mean, there, there are thousands of churches, and, and, and there's so many people. Now, I know you get up in the, New England, around Vermont and all those places, it's hard to find anybody. They'll, they'll tell you they're not Christians. You get out in Oregon and places like that, and you, you'll find that many people, they don't even profess to know God or know Christ. But, but to, between 7 and 8 and 0.9%, that, that tells us that there's something wrong. There are a lot of people today who are saying they're Christians that just obviously are not because they don't have the fruit. For example, did you know Barna in a research poll said that 46% of the people, and his research is reliable, 46% of the people said that their life had never been changed as a result of going to church. 46% said, we've never had a life change as a result of going to church. A third of the people said, in our congregational worship, 
We've never experienced the presence of God. I've never experienced his presence. So, so we have a problem. So I'm going to ask the question, raise the question that was basically the content of my dream, and then answer the question. Now, here's the question. Who is a Christian? Now, who is a Christian, really? And how do you know who's a Christian? How do you know? There's one book in the Bible that will answer that question. But I want you to look at the first scripture this morning. And it's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. And it'll be on the screen. You know what it says now? You just read it right there. You know what it says to do? And this is a good thing to do on January the 11th, the first Sunday of the new year. Look at what it says. Examine yourselves. <laughs> Didn't say examine someone else. Examine yourself as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless you are disqualified. You know, I, I, th that's not hard to understand. Now, I will say something that will shock you. Before they did the oblation on my heart, and I was getting weaker and weaker, I was laying in the bed at uh, Spring Hill Hospital, and I knew that I could die. I mean, I, I really felt like I possibly would die. But you know what I did? I said, well, Lord, I need to do a little inventory. I said, I need to be sure I'm saved. You say, Brother Fred, you've been preaching for 55 years when you said that. But wait a minute. You don't take anything for granted when you're getting ready to die. You don't assume. So I just went back and said, now, Lord, well, what is the evidences that a person saved? And are those evidences in my life? And thank God when it was all over, I was just saying, praise Jesus. If I die, I'm going home. But I'm telling you, I honestly examined myself. I honestly tested myself. And friend, I, I mean, I don't care how long you've been going to church. And I know so many of you very, very personally. I personally see Christ in you. And, and I, I know so many of you that are sitting here are genuine believers in the Lord Jesus. There may be some of you that think you are who aren't. That's not my judgment. But I tell you what, it, it's, it's never wrong to be sure about what you have to be sure about. And so what we want to do is just answer the question, who is a Christian? We don't examine ourselves as to whether or not we're in the faith. We're going to test ourselves. And we're going to know whether Jesus Christ is in us. Now, the, the one book in the Bible that was written to show you whether or not, to show you who is a Christian is, who is a Christian is 1 John. It's only five little chapters, five. But it was written for the specific purpose of showing, well, who is a Christian? Is everybody who says I'm a Christian a Christian? No. Who is a Christian? Look at 1 John 5. It'll be on the screen. Verses 11 through 13. I want you to notice what it says. All right, look, look, look at verse 11. I'm glad you can read it. And this is the record. It's like a marriage license. It's like a birth certificate. That's what it says. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his son. Okay. Eternal life is a gift from God and it's found in Jesus. Not the church, not rituals, not rites, not ceremonies. God has given us eternal life and it is, it's a gift of God and it is in his son. All right, look on at verse 12. He who has the son, Jesus, has life. He who does not have the son of God does not have life. So I have found, I'm talking to a person. They say, well, you know, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. I said, praise God. So I, you believe the Bible's the inspired 
inerrant word of God. Well, no, I don't know about that. There, there are a lot of things in the Bible that aren't reliable. Well, of course you, you believe that Jesus is the only way to be saved. Oh, no, no, I don't, I don't believe that. I think Jesus is one of the ways, but there are other ways. Well, see, wait a minute, wait a minute. That's not a Christian. That, that's not. And it says here, he who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life, which says Jesus is the only way. And go and look on in verse 13 of chapter 5. Now, he said, let me tell you what I've written. These things have I written to you. Chapter 1, John, 1 John 1, 1 John 2, 1 John 3, 1 John 4, 1 John 5. These things I have written unto you that believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know. Circle that. That you may know that you have eternal life. He said, I wrote five chapters in here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. The beloved disciple John who wrote the Gospel of John, who wrote under the inspiration of the Spirit, was a vehicle for the book of Revelation. The beloved disciple John said, I've written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you can know. Not wish, not think, not hope, not speculate that you may know, know that you have eternal life. And that you may believe, you continue to believe in the Son of God. Okay, so what did he write? There are five evidences in the first John, five evidences that a person is a Christian. Five. So to answer the question, who is a Christian, I will take simply the word of God and simply the passages in 1 John. I don't have to go anywhere else. It's supported by the rest of Scripture. But I'll take 1 John and give you five evidences and answer the question, who is a Christian? Here's the first one. The first evidence of who is a Christian is obedience to the Word of God. You see, in the Bible, there's some things that God tells us to do. But also in the Bible... There's some things that God tells us not to do. And so the evidence that a person is a Christian is obedience to the word of God. All right, 1 John chapter 2, all these scriptures will be on the screen, verses 3 through 5. Now you can read them with me. You see, I'm glad today that I don't have to offer you my opinion. My opinion is a little better than anybody else's opinion. I'm glad I can offer to you the word of God, which is eternal and has stood the test of time. Heaven and earth will pass away, but God's word will never pass away. Amen? So all I'm going to do is give you the word of God. You say, well, I, I'm not sure I believe that. Now, your argument's not with me. It's with God. All right, look what it says. By this we know that we know him. Okay. Okay. He said, this is the way you know you know Jesus. All right? By this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. In the words, if we do what God, by the power of the Holy Spirit who lives in us, if we do what God tells us to do, and we don't do what God tells us and not to do, we don't do what God tells us not to do, we don't do what he tells us not to do. If we do what he tells us to do and do what he tells us not to do, then that's evidence. See, that's obedience. Now, we know this, we know him, if we keep his commandments. Look at the next verse. He who says, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. I know him. And does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. Here's a person who says, well, I'm a Christian. I'm just as good a Christian as anybody else. I'm good a Christian as anybody goes down to Luke 418. Well, let me ask you a question. Are you obeying God? Are you living a life of obedience to God? What's that got to do with it? Everything. It says here, he who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. So the evidence that we're, who is a Christian is obedience to the word of God. That's exactly what it is. Look at chapter five. You don't have to turn. It'll be on the screen. Chapter five, verse three. He talks about obedience. He says, now look at this. You say, well, I love God. Well, look at this verse. This is the love of God. 
that you keep his commandments. Oh, so that's the way I tell I know I love God. I obey what he says me, to me to do, and I don't do the things he tells me not to do. My love for God is seen in my obedience. But you say sometimes, but, but they're, they're kind of hard. Look at the rest of the verse. His commandments are not burdensome. Let me tell you what happens when a person gets saved. Before a person becomes a genuine child of God, it is hard. And the commandments are burdensome. It's just burdensome. But you say, well, now I've got to do that because the Bible says I've got to do that. So I've got to do that. And I don't want to do that. And I don't, it's too hard to do that. But if I'm going to be religious, I've got to do that. Well, that's not the way God operates. What happens is this. Jesus Christ comes to live inside of us. He writes God's law in our mind, and he writes it on the tablets of our heart. And we find ourselves obeying God, not because we have to, but hallelujah, because we want to. It's not burdensome to love people and to forgive people and to say no to wickedness. That's not burdensome. When you've got a new heart and a new spirit and Christ lives in you, it says his commandments are not burdensome. All right, here's the second evidence. Who is a Christian? A person who is obedient to God's word. Here's the second one. Who is a Christian? There's the evidence of a righteous life. Now, this is, this is the heart of the way we know whether we're a child of God or not. There's the evidence of a righteous life. Now, there's one word that I want you to remember, and I'm praying for God to write it in your memory so that you won't get confused and won't beat yourself up. It's the word practice, P-R-A-C-T-I-C-E. I am not saying to you that a, a, a genuine Christian is never tempted. I'm not saying that. And I'm certainly not saying to you that a true child of God never sins. I'm not saying that. But what I am talking about and what First John talks about is your lifestyle. It's your lifestyle. It's what you practice. It's your daily life. And the Bible plainly says that practice righteousness. Look at First John 2.29. All right. Who is a Christian? Here it is. If you know that Jesus is righteous, if you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. Oh, who is a Christian? She practices righteousness. He practices righteousness. The practice of her life is righteousness. The practice of his life is righteousness. And so the evidence is with the, that a Christian practices righteousness. All right, same, same book, chapter 3, 1 John 3, 7 and 10. Look at what it says. Little children. Oh, that's, a, that's an affectionate term for Christians. I love this. Let nobody deceive you. Woo. If there are 248,780,000 Christians in America, somebody's been deceived is all I got to say. The whole culture would be transformed. Abortion would have never occurred. Same-sex marriage would have never even been heard of. The light would have been doing its work and the salt would have been stopping decay. Listen, come on now. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness, he lives a righteous life. She lives a righteous life. He who practices righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. So it's a lifestyle. And I'm going to talk to you about what righteousness is. But you see, uh, the evidence that who is a Christian is he practices righteousness. He lives a righteous, she lives a righteous life. All right, well, what is righteousness? All right. Now, certainly, I, I can't go through every deal, but I'm going to just give you a picture of it. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. I want you to look at this verse. 
Now, this is righteousness. And guess what it is? It's not the fruit of struggling. It's not the fruit of striving. It's not the fruit of doing the best you can. I know what it's right, and I'm going to do it if it kills me. That, that is not it at all. What is righteousness? Look at it. The fruit that the Holy Spirit produces in your life when you are a Christian. The fruit of the Spirit's love. You love God. You love people. You love the things of God. Joy. That means that you have an inner strength inside of you. There may be tremendous waves on the service. The wind may be blowing. The storm may be great. But underneath it all, deep inside of you, the joy of the Lord is your strength. You have an inner strength that comes only from the presence of Jesus. The fruit of the Spirit's love, joy, it's peace. You have peace with God. You have peace with yourself. You have peace with others. You're not bitter. You're not angry. You're not trying to get even. You're not blaming everybody else. No, 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 no. Righteousness is love and joy and peace. And by the way, long-suffering, it means that you bear up under difficulty. You may not like the difficulty, but you know it's part of it. So you bear up under it. Long-suffering. Look, look at the good next one. Now, you know what righteousness is? You're kind. You're kind to people. You don't use people. People are not to be manipulated or controlled. You know what? You're kind to people. You're not mean to them. You're kind. That's righteousness. Jesus was as righteous and holy as a person could be. But, man, he was kind. Even kind to those who killed him. Kindness. Goodness. Now you can put anything you want to under that. That's the fruit of the Spirit. That's righteousness. When you live a good, and let let the Word of God determine what's good. When you live a good life, and when you're faithful. But now wait a minute. Well, what is unrighteousness? Let me give you a verse. Look at 1 John 5, 17. I want to show you what unrighteousness is. I'm saying to you that the evidence of who is a Christian, number one, they obey the word of God. Number two, there's the evidence that they live a, they practice their lifestyle as one of righteousness. But you say, Brother Fred, what is unrighteousness? Look at 1 John 5, 17. I don't have to go ask somebody out here what's good, what's right, and what's wrong. I just go to the word of God. All unrighteousness is sin. So then I know that sin is unrighteousness. Now, let's just get a picture of what God's word says about that. All right? Look at um, 1 John 3, 4 through 6. You'll see it on the screen. Now, we know that righteousness is you practice righteousness, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy. But now we're talking about unrighteousness. And all unrighteousness is sin. Look at what it says in verse 4. Whoever commits sin commits lawlessness. Lawlessness. No respect for the word of God or the teachings of the word of God. They're lawless. They, they, they want no restraints. None whatsoever. I want to live the way I want to live and I want to do it now. And I don't want anybody, including God, to tell me how to live. Sin is lawlessness. Whoever commits sin commits lawlessness. Commits lawlessness. All right. And then, in, uh, and you know, that he was manifested to take away our sin. And in him there is no sin. Sin is lawlessness. He came to take away our sin. Look at the next verse. Whoever abides in him does not practice sin. If you abide in Jesus, you don't practice lawlessness. That's not your lifestyle. Whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever practices sin has never seen him nor known him. Now, let me say this to y'all. I am not in the judging business. I am not the judge. Thank God. The day will come when the secrets of all men's hearts will be disclosed by the Lord Jesus Christ. And so if you think today is judgmental, you don't understand I am simply saying what this is what God 
says. And the Bible says, if you abide in Christ, you do not practice lawlessness. It's that, and if you do practice lawlessness, that answers your question on who is a Christian. All right, look at verses uh, 3, 1 John 3, 8 through 10. Now he goes on and says, all right, now this is pretty strong, but I, I'm just going to read the Bible, okay? He who sins is of the devil. Pretty strong, Lord. Why don't just, he who sins is of the devil. The devil sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested. Why? That he might destroy the works of the devil. So he came to destroy the works of the devil so that you and All right, look at the next verse. Whoever, now please get this. You're wondering about, you look at your own life. You look at the people you love. You look at the people you're closest to. And you ask this question. Whoever has been born of God does not practice sin. So I'm talking to somebody, and I love them. And they said, you know, I said, so you know Jesus? Oh, I know Jesus. He said, I said, you're a Christian? Oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. Share with me. But then you get to know them. And they really don't care about the things of God. They hardly ever enter the house of God. Their lifestyle seems to have no restraints whatsoever. doesn't matter to them what they look at with their eyes or listen to with their ears. And they pretty much do whatever their flesh wants to do. Well, then, then we've got a problem here. Whoever is born of God does not practice sin because his seed, the nature of Christ, is in him. Did you know a Christian has the nature of Jesus Christ? We're partakers of the divine nature. Whoever sins, his seed remains in him. The nature of Jesus. We have the presence of Jesus. For he cannot practice sin because he has been born of God. I'm telling you, I've never, I, I've never been to a funeral below the Bible belt in Richmond where everybody wasn't a Christian. I mean, they may have lived like hell, and they'd say, well, old Joe, boy, when he was eight years old, he joined the church and got baptized. But sure, he's been living like the devil ever since. But boy, isn't it good? He's in heaven. Got news for you. He ain't in heaven. He's not there. But I loved him. Well, I'm glad you did, but that don't make any change. See, who is a Christian is clearly defined by the word of God. But we practice righteousness. We do not practice unrighteousness. And look at the 10th verse. Okay. <laughs> I want to know who's the child of God. All I'm doing is reading the Bible now. In this, the children of God are manifest. Oh, this is how you can know he's a Christian. This is how you can know she's a Christian. In this, the children of God are, and, the, and, and the children of the devil are manifest. Who does not, whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. And he who does not love his brother. Well, let's go on to the, uh, let, let me show you what unrighteousness is, okay? I showed you what righteousness is, Galatians 5.22. All right, look on the screen in Galatians 5.19. going to show you what unrighteousness is, Okay. I'm just reading the Bible. You know, one reason I said, well, Lord, I don't need to tell people what sin is. He said, let me tell you something. In this generation, in this culture, where people are calling right wrong and wrong right, calling darkness light and light darkness, have you ever seen anything like it? They're calling right wrong and wrong right, light darkness and darkness and light. Hey, somebody better define what sin is. It needs to be defined. Don't you think so? My Lord, I mean, everything goes in this culture. All right, he says here, the works of the flesh are evident. And isn't it interesting that the first thing is sexual sin? See, America's absolutely crazy. Everything's based on lust. The works of the flesh are adultery. You're married, you have sex with somebody that's not your wife. That's adultery. You look on a woman, lust after in your heart. Commit the act of adultery in, 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 with your eyes. Your, it says, Whoever, uh, the, the works of the flesh are adultery, fornication, any type of sexual sin, any type. Fornication is, includes, uh, it includes uh, pornography, it includes um, uh, homosexuality, it includes lesbianism, it includes any type of 
transgender stuff and all that stuff. I mean, it, it, any type of sexual sin is covered by fornication. And by the way, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6, it says flee fornication. Every sin a person commits is outside their own body. But if a person commits fornication, they have taken it into their body. And it's serious. So sexual sin, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, that, uh, that's sin. All right, look at the next one. Those are what we call sexual sins. And then there's, so, there's spiritual sins, idolatry, anything you love more than Jesus. Sorcery, that's drug use. That's exactly what the word sorcery comes from the read, Greek word pharmakia, from which we get our word pharmacy. And, and so sorcery is the using of portions or drugs. And it's, it's, it's a work of the flesh. Drug use is a sin. It's a sin. If they're prescription drugs and you abuse them, it's a sin. Hatred. Huh. Arguments. These are the, what I call uh, spiritual sins. Idolatry, sorcery, hatred contentions, jealousies, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies. My soul, I mean, that's, that's not good. It's sin. It's lawlessness. It's unrighteousness. And then look at the last one. It's uh, what I call the sexual sins or social sins. Envy, murders. Oh, my goodness, drunkenness. But, Fred, I thought it was all right to get drunk. I think you missed it. And you know what revelings are? Partying. Mobile is fixing to go into about six weeks of partying and drunkenness. You do know that, don't you? You're awful quiet. Brother Fred, everybody loves a parade. Everybody loves a moon pie. Praise God, I like moon pies. But let me say something. It's what's beneath the surface. It's what's, have you ever been to one of the Mardi Gras balls? Everybody's drunk. Dancing with somebody else's wife. You say, Brother Fred, you're going to get in trouble. I mean, I'm not going to get in trouble. This is the word of God. Do you understand me? Well, I'm a good Christian, but I don't miss a ball, and I, I sure am drunk most of the time. Hey, come on, give me a break. Drunkenness, partying, the like of which I tell you beforehand, and I told you in the past that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, you know what people would say when I would read that and say, you're legalistic, you're narrow, you're a bigot. Let me tell you, I'm not. I am a preacher of the word of the living God and God's word will stand and everything else will not stand the test of the word of God. Let God be true and every man a liar. And so when you preach the truth, then it's God's business. And so if you practice unrighteousness, the answer, who is a Christian, is not you. All right, here's the last uh, two and they're pretty quick. The evidence that of your love for people. Now, isn't that something? You go from the obedience, evidence of obedience to the word of God, and then you go to the evidence of a righteous life, and then there's the evidence of your love for people. You know the great commandment? Jesus reaffirmed it. He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength. And you, the second is likened to it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Loving God and loving people. Okay. Are you telling me, Brother Fred, if I love people is an evidence whether or not I'm saved? Look at 1 John 2, 9 through 11. 9 through 11. Just look at it. He who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. That's pretty strong. You say, you're, I'm in the light, but you hate somebody. He's in darkness. Look at the next verse. He who loves his brother abides in the light. Now, that's not talking about your physical brother. It's talking about anybody God puts into your life. 
He who loves his brother abides in the light, and there's no cause for stumbling in him. It's hard to stumble when you love people. It's when you hate people and you're bitter toward people and angry toward people. That's when you stumble. But if you love people, it's hard to stumble when you're walking in love. Read the next verse. He who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Is there anybody that you hate? Anybody that you've got deep-rooted bitterness toward? All right. Boy, here's the great test. 1 John chapter 3, verse 14 and 15. Now, you, you, you just underline this. Brother Fred, I want to know if I've passed from darkness to light. I want to know if I've passed from death to life. I want to know who is a Christian. Here it is. Here it is. I mean, I'm just reading the pure, perfect word of God. We know we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. In other words, one way that I can know that I am a Christian is red and yellow, black and white. They are precious in his sight. That I love people. I love sinners. You love sinners. We love sinners. We hate their sin, but we love them. You never reach them if you don't love them. Oh, no. Hey, Jesus loved sinners. Mary Magdalene, he cast out seven demons out of her. The woman brought to Jesus in the act of adultery, and, the, and they wanted to stone her. Jesus looked at her and said, look now, I, I, don't, I don't forgive you. I mean, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. So you've you, you got to understand that while we hate sin, we need to communicate love for sinners. We need to. In other words, we don't, when we get around them, we don't need to judge them and, and just start putting them down. And Look, we just need to love them, and we need to speak the truth to them. And if you love them, eventually they'll let you talk to them. But if you don't love them, they're not ever going to listen to you. Now, I've said some hard things about lifestyles, but that doesn't mean I don't love people. I don't mean I don't love them. I don't care about them. I don't mean I would do anything I could to help them come to know Jesus. I don't mean that at all. But we have got to settle this thing that not everybody who says they're a Christian is a Christian. And it'd be my responsibility to warn people to know whether or not they're a Christian. All right, so if you love the brothers, you are, it's an evidence that you're a child of God. Look at verse 15. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. You won't kill anybody unless you hate them. So whoever hates his brother is a murderer. And you know no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. There's one other verse. Look at chapter 4, verse 7 and 8. They'll put it up. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone who is love is born of God. Well, I, what a part of that don't I understand? If you love people, that's an evidence that you have been born of God, and you know God. All right, let's move on to the next one. We're moving pretty quick. All right, here's number four. Now, this is not, it won't take me but a minute on this one. There's the evidence of obedience to the word of God. There's the evidence of the practice of a righteous life. There's an evidence of uh, the love of the brethren, uh, of people. And then fourth, there is the evidence of the Holy Spirit. Look at 1 John 3, 24. It says the Holy Spirit lets us know we're saved. He lets us know we're saved. I'm so glad. Now, he who keeps his commandments abides in him and he in him. And listen to this. And we know, by this we know he abides in us by the spirit he has given us. When I was searching my heart on that bed in Spring Hill Hospital, I was so thankful that the Holy Spirit, as I progressed, bore witness that I was a child of God. And we know the abides in us by the Spirit. His Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we're a child of God. 
There's another verse. Look at chapter 4, verse 13. By the way, all these are in 1 John, y'all. I'm not having to go anywhere else in the Bible. All the rest of the Bible supports it. By this, we know we abide in him. Okay. By this, I know I'm a Christian. Because he has given us his spirit. The Holy Spirit lives in us. And we are children of God. His spirit says you're okay. You're saved. See, it's a witness of the Holy Spirit. Then there's one other verse. Look at chapter 5 of 1 John verse 10. He who believes the Son of God has the witness in himself. It's the Holy Spirit. If you believe in the Son of God and you're truly, uh, you have the witness of the Spirit. Who does not believe God has made him a liar because he doesn't believe the testimony God's given his Son. All right, and here's the last thing. There's the evidence of a righteous life. There's the evidence of obedience to God. There's the evidence of love for people. There's the evidence of the Holy Spirit. His Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. I love this. And this this is a real problem. You wouldn't think it is, but it is. It is the evidence of the confession that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Because, see, if Jesus is the Son of God, and he is, then he is who he said he is, and he said that he is God manifest in the flesh, and he said that he's the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody comes to God but through him. So when you confess that Jesus is the Son of God, you're saying some significant things. Look at chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. By this you know the Spirit of God. How can I know the Holy Spirit? Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. This is what it's saying. It is the Holy Spirit who confesses that Jesus Christ is God manifest in the flesh. He's not just merely a man. He's not just merely a prophet. He's not just merely a teacher. Jesus Christ is God manifest in the flesh. Not a God, but the God. And this, you know, the Spirit of God, every spirit that confesses Jesus has come in the flesh is of God. Look look at the next, um, look at verse 3. Every spirit that does not confess that Jesus has come in the flesh is not of God. This is the spirit of Antichrist which we have heard was coming and is in the world now. You're talking to a person, you say, well, oh, I'm a Christian, Brother Fred, I'm a Christian. I said, good. What do you believe about Jesus? Well, I believe he was a good, good teacher, good prophet. Well, let me ask you a question. Do you believe he's the son of God? Yeah. Do you believe he's, the per- he's perfect deity? Yeah. Do you believe that he's God manifest in the flesh? Oh, yeah. Well, do you believe he's the only way to be saved? No. Wait a minute. You, 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 you done got yourself in trouble. Because he said that he is God, and he said he's the only way to be saved. So how can he be God and be a liar? It amazes you how many people will deny that Jesus is the only way. But if you confess that he is God in the flesh, then you're saying he's the only way. Look at chapter 4, verse 14 and 15. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Christians, who is a Christian? A person who says, God sent his Son, Jesus, into the world, and he is the Savior of the That God sent into the world. A Christian confesses. All right, look at uh, chapter 5, verse 1. Whoever confesses, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. The Christ means that he's God manifest in the flesh. Perfect humanity, the son of David. Perfect deity, the son of God. Whoever believes that Jesus is, is born of God. And everyone who loves him, who begot, loves him, who is begotten. And then here's the last two verses. Boy, and they're great. Turn over to chapter 5, verse 19 and 20. 
The evidence that you're saved is this is your confession. Jesus Christ is God manifest in the flesh. Perfect humanity, the son of David. Perfect deity, the son of God. He was with the word, he was the word, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus is perfect deity. He is 100% God, okay? All right, he says in verse 19, we know that we are of God and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. We're of God and the whole world lies under the control of the devil. Now look at the next verse. Okay, we know, this is a Christian, that the Son of God has come. And has given us an understanding. And we know him who is true. And we are in him who is true. In his son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God. And eternal life. A a Christian is a person who confesses that Jesus is who he says he is. Who the father says he is. Who the word of God says he is. Now let me close by saying this. Just examine yourself. Examine yourself. See if you're in the faith. Test yourself. But let me close by saying, you can't live the Christian life in your own power. You can't do it. See, that's the beautiful thing about Christian. Jesus Christ comes to live in us, and he lives his life through us. I am not righteous in my own power. You are not righteous in your own power. You're righteous in the power of Jesus Christ. We don't, over, we don't love people in our own power. We love people through the power of Jesus Christ who lives in us. Please understand. A Christian is a person in whom Jesus Christ lives and through whom Jesus Christ lives. And Jesus lives the Christian life in them and through them. And they bow and give God all the glory because Jesus saved them. Jesus keeps them. And Jesus lives his life in them and through them. And they know it is all Jesus. It's not them. It is Jesus.